Hello, everybody. Hello, Murat. Greetings to Turkey. Thank you again for having you in our show. Hello, Peter. Hello, Murat. Nice to meet you again. Hello, Armin. It's very nice to see you again and uh, with a better internet connection this time. I hope it's not uh, the accurate phase of the pandemic and I don't think that the Wi-Fi will be too overloaded. So mm -hmm. I hope the connection will be better and yeah. everything will be understood better. But as you said just before, you had snowstorms and, and thunderstorms. Yeah. <laughs> again, you know, again, we had this last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Istanbul, uh, Istanbul uh, is facing uh, a stormy weather with a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. And as I told you before, just a few minutes ago, before we connected, uh, the uh, lack of infrastructure of such a big city with almost 20 millions of population sometimes mm -hmm. occur problems. Um, and anyway, we survived tonight. Uh, mm -hmm. So we will see, but it's okay for, for most of us. Okay, very good. I saw it in the news, a lot of snow in Greece and in Turkey and so on. Yeah. yeah Interesting. Even, even here in Malta, we had the coldest night I live here since nine years. And the first time we had only seven degrees in the morning. Normally, it rarely goes under 10 degrees. Cold for Malta, isn't it? It's cold for Malta. Yeah, it's, it's really cold. But it is said that such a stormy snowfall didn't uh, happen uh, since 1942 in Istanbul. Okay, wow. The climate is generally mild, although we see snow almost every year, but this mm -hmm. is, it was quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's climate change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I saw I saw a nice reportage today of a guy of uh, of uh, Weltwoche or something. It's a, it's a magazine in Switzerland, and he said, "I checked now. We have average the last nine years temperature dropped average of about the last nine years. So all this global warming still doesn't really work, <laughs> as the politicians say. There are a lot of speculations. Some uh, scholars say that it is just a phase that also. Uh, uh, past in the in the history, so there were some dry periods, hot mm -hmm. periods, and cold periods. And it's yeah, possible. you always have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I so I don't deny climate change, of course, not because the climate is changing since changing. the Earth is existing. Of course, yeah. sometimes it's uh, ice age, or sometimes it's a warm mm. period. Yeah, because the Earth is flat, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it always swims around. And, yeah. after, uh, and, and first of all, the Illuminats are steering the weather. They have a little button that they make it warmer. Yeah, they, they have a big button and, it, and the system is called HARP, but this is something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, don't yeah. talk about this today. We talk about archery, please, okay? Yeah. That's yeah. why we are here, right? Yeah. But just, just because I saw last time a video, you shot now a Selchuk bow, right? Yes, yes. yes. It, it, it looks a little like, like the, the Kazan is some kind of longer than from, from the Turkish or the well, Siprahi. It looks a little different. What, uh, well, yeah. First of all, uh, let's talk about the morphology of the bow first. Okay. Because Kazan is an inaccurate term. Kazan is the uh, name of the limb extremities of the Ottoman style bow. Okay, only from the Ottoman. Okay. Can be seen also on the Crimean Tatar bows, which is that rig. 
pitch with a cross with a triangular cross section. And uh, at the very tip, there's a, a part which is called bash in Turkish. Bash is head, Italy, yes, yeah. where the uh, loops of the strings uh, is uh, accepted or, or uh, uh, held. So uh, this, the earlier bows are similar to that of Kipchak Kuman or uh, Hungarian, early Hungarian bows, Magyar mm -hmm. bow. Uh, instead of kasan and bash, there is a, a rigid uh, limp extremity called ear. Yes. So we also discussed with Adam Karpovich about this naming uh, of the both sections. Mm -hmm. uh, so because there's a term uh, coming from Arabic language, siyah, but siyah actually uh, refers to different things mm -hmm. uh, depending on the uh, era of the particular bow, because mm -hmm. Uh, beforehand, there were these kind of balls with these ears, unbendable, rigid extremities. Okay. Uh, and afterwards, maybe at the late 13th or mid 14th century, somewhere there, uh, these, the kasan appeared. Mm -hmm. And it, of course, changed the ballistics of the bow as well. Mm -hmm. So this magic bow uh, belongs to that earlier uh, bows mm -hmm. as for the morphology. Uh, similar to that of the Magyar balls, for example. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there are there isn't any remained example. So that's why Selçuk, our uh, member, uh, whose name is also Selçuk, so he was named after the uh, the founder of this dynasty. So Selçuk okay. uh, is still a, a boy's name in mm -hmm. modern Turkish. Uh, so Selçuk uh, developed this Selçuk ball, mm -hmm. and uh, by uh, following the miniatures. Uh, in, in the uh, Selçuk era, so 13th century, 12th century. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, <clears throat> the, these miniatures, of course, it's not as realistic as the European Renaissance painting. So some gaps should have been filled, of course, but we tried to be as accurate and as evidence-based as possible. So I gave a hand to, uh, although I just played a very minor role, I have to admit, so Sanchuk did it. And uh, then he was so careful, uh, which I really appreciated, that he gave some prototypes to some of us um, to be used, uh, in fact, to torture. We really tortured the balls. Mm -hmm. We shot light arrows, uh, uh, like Majora arrows, for example, it's a laminated bolt. It's not a very good idea to go very low in arrow mass, but we did. It was the idea actually to see the durability of both of the bolt. And after <clears throat> a little bit more than a year, he said, okay, we can carefully introduce the bolt to the market. Oh, okay, so, nice. Uh, he is now becoming a professional bowyer, <clears throat> but mm -hmm. he was actually uh, an idealist. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then um, the ball has been uh, in use in more than three years, I think, uh, if we consider the time that we uh, uh, had behind during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it's a great ball, actually. And we are uh, uh, comparing its ballistic features as well with that of the later balls, the Ottoman ball and the Crimean Tatar ball. Yeah. Here, as I said in the video, some uh, scholars and good friends of mine uh, helped us. For example, Dr. Gabor Soloshi, a Hungarian uh, gentleman, a good friend and a mentor. Uh, he also sent me some uh, very valuable archaeological uh, data from uh, th that the, uh, the uh, Hungarian 
archaeologists harvested from the tombs and graves of uh, Majars and Avars. Mm -hmm. So it, they were very valuable just because uh, although uh, there wasn't any tombs, uh, the Carpathian climate uh, uh, causes of course, because of the humidity, rain, and everything, there's no intact example. They mm -hmm. decomposed, yeah. but still there were skeletons as well as quivers. So they had uh, the chance to compare the height of the uh, bodies next to the bones and the quivers. So that had an idea how long the uh, arrows were, mm -hmm. and it's the same with the uh, Gökturk or Blue Turk Kaganate era, which was very well uh, researched by the Soviet uh, archaeologists and okay. the Blue Turks uh, survived up to 840, so mm -hmm. just 150 years before the Seljuks uh, rose or arose as a uh, sultanate. So, and this this type of bow can be tracked back to Shinnus mm -hmm. in uh, Ural Altaic region, so okay. as uh, uh, old as 3rd century BC. So it's a long design. And an intact example is from uh, 8th century, the so-called Jargalan bow. Mm -hmm. Heard of it. And uh, yes, and another very good uh, uh, a big chance that I have in my hand, it, thanks to Adam Karpovich, again, as I said in the video, he actually uh, made two replicas of this Jargalan bow mm -hmm. and one of them uh, was kindly shipped by him to me. So I have the bow here, 80 something pounder, uh, by following the uh, dimensions of the originals found in the archaeological excavations, the bow came out to be 80 plus, 90 plus mm -hmm. pounds of weight. Yeah. And <clears throat> all these data together uh, makes a bow that is quite durable. Uh, uh, maybe not as fast as the later Ottoman and Crimean Tartar mm -hmm. but durable and is energy efficient mm -hmm. with uh, heavier arrows. That's what heavy arrows and longer draws. Okay. Uh, this has not been confirmed by the research of the Hungarian enthusiasts like Gabor Solushi because they didn't draw the ball long. They unfortunately tested it with shorter draws. Mm -hmm. But longer draw plus a heavy arrow um, uh, makes make the bow approach the energy efficiency levels of the later bows. So mm -hmm. I assume, I think it's a theory, of course, but uh, further research may confirm that it shows that these these bows uh, had similar energy transfer capabilities if they're drawn uh, long and uh, heavier arrows are shot. Of course, it will shorten the distance of combat, mm -hmm. but it is okay because they all, all were mounted or almost all were mounted because uh, there are the famous Orhun inscriptions, mm -hmm. the earliest known uh, example of the Turkish language and uh, alphabet. Uh, there, it is mentioned that one third of the army uh, consisted of pedestrians or uh, infantry. All the others, two-thirds, were mounted. So most of them were mounted. And on a mount, on a horse, you can adjust the distance between you and him. So a heavier arrow and a, a, a deep trajectory may not be a big disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, we, we are still searching uh, the Very stuff. Good.
No, but it was a good start. Yes, and uh, if you ask my opinion, it is also a very uh, 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 important and unfortunately underestimated era. Again, because of the political reasons, I don't want to get into politics too much. No, 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 no. We never, we never do that. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> anyway, but uh, of course, because of conjunctural reasons, the, this era is a little bit, uh, <clears throat> under, how to say, yes, underestimated or ignored, uh, while the Ottoman period is uh, much more emphasized. But the Sajjuk era is very important in terms of being a transitional period from the pagan time to the Islamic time. Um, and and, uh, sorry, and this is the Seljuk area, uh, Seljuk uh, time. Yes, yes. it is okay. from uh, 1040 to approximately the late 13th century. Mm -hmm. Okay. The uh, ball, as I said, has been uh, uh, tested by two or three Chirindas members, including me. I also shot one for years. And I have now the second one mm -hmm. uh, for bow hunting purposes, uh, just because the bow is provided with a, a yellowish, uh, brownish back, which, uh, ref reflect which is reflecting the light in, in uh, low light conditions, even in low light conditions. So that's why I requested such to make one for me with black fiberglass packing, mm -hmm. uh, so it's a great bow. And you know, just for curiosity, I checked uh, the bow's kinetic uh, energy by using a, a heavy arrow, not that heavy, in fact, because in testing, we went up to 14 grain per pound. Okay. But in hunting, I would not use such a very heavy bow in case I would need uh, to shoot at a slightly longer distance. Mm -hmm. So with, I think, 11 grain per pound or so, mm -hmm. the ball, uh, it's a 55 pound ball, by the way, reached uh, 38 to 40 foot pound of energy, which is the given minimum for black bear and wild boar, which is quite good, very good. In fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. just can reach only compound balls. Interesting. So it's, for it's, such it's, a, let's say, earlier, yes. It's close to a long bow. It sounds it's close to a long, it's close to the performance of a longbow. <laughs> well, uh, you mean a uh, longbow or a longer bow? Which which one? Longbow. He speaks about the uh, hill style. As, a straight limbed bow. But I'm just picking on you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so yes, uh, and it was a first, in fact. So we, I'm very proud of that too, that we actually could. A member of us actually could do that yeah. uh, and now some other important bowyers uh, for example like like uh, lucas nawani is also introducing a new prototype of a such bow, I saw it. <laughs> he finished the design already <laughs> in two weeks he is ready well but of course it, it, it does not underestimate his skill and yeah. talent in he's a great guy not only as a bowler, as an archer, he's an excellent, excellent archer too. I have been together with him in Poland in some competitions. <clears throat> his accuracy is unbelievable. Yeah. And so, a great guy as well. So, I, I am really happy that people know more and more about the Turkey culture other than the Ottomans. So, it's good. Yeah. You know why? Because, of course, I don't want to look chauvinistic, but uh, it is important to write the history correct. Uh, but I am reading the uh, English literature, uh, and if it comes to, to the Crusader era, 
it is all about these Saracens, okay? Mm -hmm. the, the Crusaders fought the Saracens, Saracens. But the Saracens, there is no such a homogeneous uh, folk called mm -hmm. Saracens. Mm -hmm. So, of, of course, the Christianity and Islam were two camps fought each other. But uh, these Saracens were different in terms mm -hmm. of their races, in terms of their languages, in terms of, in terms of their other customs. And mm -hmm. The first encounter uh, of the Crusaders uh, was the Turks, the Seljukians. So it is very important. We wrote an article together with Nils Wieser, a Dutch friend of mine, mm -hmm. uh, for a magazine, uh, Medieval Warfare. It is being published in Holland, in, in the Netherlands. And it was really good. We uh, wrote it together based on another previous article of mine about Seljuk archery. And uh, I highlighted that once again. So mm -hmm. it is not about, as I said, be, be being uh, chauvinistic, but being accurate. In exactly, the that's all about it. Yeah. And all what, uh, what is mentioned about, uh, let me close the window. Maybe you can hear the voice as no well. Crowded, noisy city. <laughs> And uh, all uh, what the Crusader reports uh, mention about the skill of the Saracens in archery, it's mainly about the Turkish archery. So it is yeah. a matter of uh, 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 not only the, being accurate in historiography, but also uh, being aware of the sources. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, <clears throat> the uh, military elite of the caliph's armies mm -hmm. were of Turkic origin and Caucasian origin. So mm -hmm. uh, this Saracen was mainly Turkish. So that's mm -hmm. why also a good source for us uh, to work on, uh, like the Memlu country. Mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, something good in order to uh, uh, pull the people's attention to this culture. So uh, in our previous interview, we talked about the categorization of the bowls, whether the Crimean Tatar bowls yeah. are different. They are not. They are the bowls of the Turkish bowl family. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's the same for men. Mm -hmm. And um, are there a lot of, of findings? You hear me? We hear you, yeah, yeah. Are there a lot of findings of this uh, Selchuk pose? Are there lots of... Uh, no, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Okay. Uh, the problem is, uh, unlike the Ottoman culture, uh, because we have a lot of intact Ottoman ball examples, a lot. Yep. In the mm -hmm. Museum, there are over 530 balls, which I was uh, lucky yep. enough to see. Wow. Uh, and uh, in other museums, as well as in museums in Europe, there are a lot of... In, uh, even in Austria? From the yes. Turkish wars, from the Ottoman wars, yeah. Yes. What was what was the, the meeting in Vienna? Uh, in in Fortenstein Castle. It's not. It's close to my place. It's a castle in Burgenland where I live, and they have a big uh, display of of stuff they 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 got from the Ottoman, you know, invaders. Mm. Mm -hmm. A big tent, a Turkish officer's tent, and, and mm -hmm. bows and stuff and shields and mm -hmm. sabers and so on. Mm -hmm. 
in Karlsruhe and Dresden in uh, Germany, there are uh, important findings. And in Poland, in Warsaw, mm -hmm. in the military museum, there are great uh, uh, findings based on the booties uh, taken by Polish uh, Polish army uh, after the defeat of Ottomans in Austria in the siege of Vienna. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of examples, but not uh, from the Seljuk era. Uh, so that's why Seljuk's, our Seljuk's uh, research was based on the depictions. There are fortunately depictions, uh, not too much, but there are. Uh, and of course, uh, there were some collateral information, let's say. For example, I am uh, referring to the Hungarian bows, for example, because they are the same uh, type of bows as for the cultural identity. Mm -hmm. uh, when they uh, came to the Carpathian Basin, the Seljuks came uh, towards Anatolia, almost to the north of India, uh, which was ruled by another Turkish dynasty at, at that time, uh, Ghaznavids. So uh, they are uh, from, they, they, they lived and ruled at the same uh, uh, period of time and used similar weaponry uh, as would be expected. So that's why we are also using these kind of uh, collateral information uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, to try to find out how the design really was. Mm -hmm. Of course, until we find an, an intact example, they all are inaccurate. We have to admit that. Mm -hmm. And uh, because you talk about that term Saracens, which was created in, you know, in our Western world, uh, I think it's like yes, they just called all these people, these uh, Muslim people, maybe they are their enemies, Saracens back then, as they called these earlier ones, the Mars, you know, the Mars which invaded Spain and and so on. But but uh, let yeah, the the culture of Indonesia. Uh, was founded by the Arabs who came to the Spanish uh, land earlier, um, earlier than the Turks adopted Islam. So this is Arabic, not Turkish. So even the uh, Turkish influence on the Arabic military culture started after 8th century, not beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, so because uh, the, uh, the slave, uh, the prisoners of war, uh, of Turkic and Caucasian origin uh, became generals and the other uh, high rank military elite of the Caliph's armies. And then they uh, rebelled and uh, take over the power. So they founded states like the Memluk state. So that's why uh, the influence of the Turkish um, warfare and Turkish weaponry came a little bit later than mm -hmm. that of Malaysia. Indonesia was Arabic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think it's very difficult to separate all these because you say Hungarian archery and Turkish. And if you think about how connected these cultures were back then, you know, it's well, you, it's not easy to, to differentiate between all these, I, let's say, uh, how, how you call it, uh, yeah, close, uh, how is it called? Close East, <laughs> close Eastern 
uh, archery near, culture near east. And, yeah. yeah near east and on the other hand i want to say i don't know if the arabs themselves uh, what the crusaders uh, enemies were you know if they had a, a special archery culture i don't know i think I don't know if the Western African and Arabs, if they had a special archery culture, I don't know. They, they uh, certainly had an archery culture because there are some legendary heroes in the Islamic uh, oral tradition. Uh, for example, the Ottoman archers consider uh, Abu Sa'd bin Bakkas uh, as their, uh, what is that called in English? their legendary uh, founder mm -hmm. because the archery archers were considered to be a profession <clears throat> and mm -hmm. all each and all profession uh, had a legendary leader a founder mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the ottoman uh, archers although they originated from inner asia and in fact their archery culture um, wasn't something to do with uh, the uh, islamic culture but they somehow uh, put a new dress on their older culture with their new religion. Mm -hmm. So that's why this legendary uh, uh, founder of the professional archery uh, was Abu Sadi Makkas, who is reportedly a very successful archer and a brother in arm of the Prophet Muhammad. Mm -hmm. and according to the legend, in one of the uh, early wars Muhammad uh, fought, uh, one of the arrows that Sad bin Bakkas shot could have not been found after the uh, war, after the battle. And uh, according to the legend, this arrow is still in the sky and will be flying up to the apocalypse. So that's uh, why this flight archery was considered to be a very important uh, sportive activity in the Islamic world based on this uh, oral tradition. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Of course, yes, very, very good. Of course, these, these kind of uh, oral traditions, uh, legends, uh, tales are also very, uh, 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 how to say, brilliant, attractive. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's discussable. For example, a friend of us, a very important Tirendal member, Harun Dennis, recently released an article that we published on our website. Unfortunately, it is in Turkish for now, but we are planning to uh, publish it in, with, a, with an English translation. Great. It is about the roots of uh, flight shooting. And uh, although there is such an Islamic dress, let's say, uh, the origins uh, can be found in the inner Asia and the, in the uh, uh, cosmology of the old religion. Mm -hmm. So the, the bow was like the dome of sky, and the string was like the, the like ground the, where mm -hmm. people live. And under the ground, there is the underworld, the world that we live, and the sky where the deities or the the, the good spirits. Mm -hmm. so for example, the shaman uh, is uh, the individual, is the person who can travel between mm -hmm. these worlds and. Shaman uses two tools during these trips. One mm -hmm. of them is a drum, the other one is a bow. Mm -hmm. So therefore, bow has a religious meaning and yeah. shooting an arrow in the sky has mm -hmm. a meaning too because uh, in this old animist uh, religion, there were a lot of deities, but the chief 
of these deities, let's say the chief god of the pantheon, Skalda, mm -hmm. Göktanri, or Köktengri, as it was called, or it was pronounced in old times. Now we say Göktanri, it was pronounced Köktengri. It's just changed in the last one, mm -hmm. 1,000 years. So uh, because the uh, chief god of the pantheon uh, was considered to be the sky of God, uh, shooting an arrow to the sky uh, was important. Or, or that shaman's spirit was shot into the sky with the bow he was using at, as a ritual object was also important. So that's why the flight archery has probably different roots before mm -hmm. Islam. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> Although it's not very easy to talk about such things, uh, it is actually something to be considered to, to uh, focus on, to really understand. Uh, <laughs> let's say. You get a lot of messages. These are all his girlfriends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Calling in. Ah, Murat, where are you? Murat, where are you? <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> we miss you. Now we don't hear you. We don't hear you. You can't hear me? No, no, we hear you. Oh, now it's okay. Yeah. Can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 With these jokes, you're going to make my wife kill me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, only joking. <laughs> no, the, the, the female followers, let's yeah, say. The, the, all this interested in, in Ottoman yeah, history yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah, and so on. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, Murat, I have a question and i uh, like to ask you about your opinion because in the past we talked about it. Uh, so, the most natural thing is to make a stick bow you know in in stone ages or in very early days or in some cultures even today they make straight simple bows from a piece of wood mm -hmm. and it's also the most uh, affordable bow you know it's you you don't need a lot of work a lot of sinew and horn and stuff and so on so so maybe i don't know uh where I don't know if all these cultures, and not especially the, the, the Turkish culture or the Turk uh, tribes or so, uh, if they all had these sophisticated high-tech bows, which are these Asiatic-style bows, I like to call them. Uh, but maybe if you, have to, if you have to equip an army with a lot of bows, and you just need this 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 uh, army for you know one raid, one battle, one little war. Maybe you wouldn't. You know what I want to say. No. Well, in fact, uh, in our previous interview, we also discussed about that. For example, you said that the bow would be more convenient in a semi-desert or steppe. Uh, uh, <laughs> But uh, then I ask you why, for example, in another semi-desert, uh, the semi-desert uh, geography like Australia, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, at all. There's not a lot of woods, different woods you can try, and so on. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, uh, 
the main per, the main reason of having a particular weapon is the uh, raw material if you ask my opinion yeah because one of the theories uh, about the rise of the composite bow is the lack of uh, trees with longer trunks mm -hmm. so if there are, yep. there are no trees like that that you can harvest good long staves from then you have to use a shorter tree with some reinforcement Mm -hmm. I, 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 uh, let, let me interrupt you, Murat. Do you hear me? Yeah. Hear me? Yeah. But, but if you think about since the Stone Ages, the people traded all around the world, yes. you know, and there are lots of trees in Asia and also in Turkey and so on. So I, I don't know. Well, that's true. But uh, think about uh, the step culture uh, yeah. there were some there was some trade for sure but they didn't have cities they were nomads so, uh, the, uh, the concept of trade was different too they were on the way of silk road of course mm -hmm. there, there there has been always but not uh, in the same concept because they uh, were mobile all the time they were moving mm -hmm. so that's why uh, the raw material that was readily yeah, yeah, available. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I also animal <laughs> And I can imagine if you can, let's say, making bows out of nothing, you are not depending on the other cultures mm -hmm. and tribes to to make trade. Mm -hmm. So you can say, okay, we have no trees, but we can make nice bows mm -hmm. without. Without trading, so so we are independent. Yeah, that's an. Well, of course the of course the Mongols of course the Mongols would have would have been able to trade some staves, no, you know some some wood stuff. For example, well, the they, Mongols. <coughs> it, it it may be possible. So why they actually preferred having some uh, sophisticated bows? It's a mystery. But it, its past uh, can be tracked back to uh, the 3rd millennium BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the first warriors with the composite bow and war chariots. The horses were not evolved yeah. yet to mm -hmm. be able to carry a, a man because they were smaller, a, li a little bit larger than a dog. So mm -hmm. the horses were uh, smaller. And therefore, uh, they uh, fought on war chariots and they used the composite bow as a weapon uh, together with the war chariot. And on a war chariot, of course, a, a shorter bow is necessary, yep. uh, more comfortable. But again, these are just theories. So, mm. But I always believe that a preference on a bow is uh, usually a cultural thing, but the raw material also played a role in a geography in which the trade is not the same that we have now, because later in the era of Seljuks, for example, they bought the bows from Syria. Syria was among their, uh, one of their uh, counties, so they ruled Syria as well, mm -hmm. but during the era that the Seljuk dynasty ruled Anatolia only because the great Seljuk empire ruled Syria, Iraq, Iran, a very larger geography. But then later, uh, the Anatolia, uh, Asia Minor, was ruled uh, uh, 
by the same dynasty. And in this era, they bought their bows from Syria. Mm-hmm. So this is what you say. So it, the, the raw material as well as finished weapons uh, can be imported, could be imported. They did, but not in this earlier era, as far as I know, just because they were mobile, no cities, nothing big, they, they, they were not settled. So because of this mobile lifestyle, they uh, had to use the ready material, the available material, and because they were herders, they already had animal matters. So sinew and horn, uh, yeah. they had quite much. Mm. So and they uh, shorter, shorter trees. That, yes. And and even if you think about the North American or the American Indians, in some places they had longbows like the Cherokee and so on, they're living in, in, in wood, in forest areas, and the Plains Indians had also kind of horned and sinew-backed bows and so on, because these were these steppe warriors, and the other ones were living in, in a tree country. So that's true, yeah. yeah. And uh, something true with the climate too. Uh, yeah, yeah, good example yeah. In, the U, in, the, in America, because America is a big continent with different uh, climate yeah 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 so yes well it is not very important very very easy actually to uh, have uh, undiscussable conclusions about why a particular weapon was preferred for mm. example i'll tell i tell you something for example a english longbow was used much later so the technology of composite ball existed long before, but they didn't prefer that. We, we could not uh, claim that they didn't know that because at yeah. least the crusaders, they saw the technology, but they did not adopt that. Maybe because, because of cultural reasons, because they don't, didn't need it, because their, their warfare was based on defensive use of the bow, uh, unlike the Eastern world, uh, in which the bow was used in offensive uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, that's one reason why I brought this up because if you think about the English longbow, it's a very simple, easy to make weapon, very cheap to make, and an Asiatic or Turkish or Ottoman or you know is a very high tech, sophisticated piece of uh, piece of weaponry. Mm-hmm. So it's. In my opinion, if I have the trees, if I have the woods, it's much cheaper. And you know, you know it like I know it. <laughs> war is always about money. If you can supply enough men with weaponry, so you can do a raid or an attack or a war or so on. So it's the same today. If you have a cheaper produced, you know, submachine gun. You know, like in World War II, the first time they 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 milled it out of full steel blocks, these submachine pistols, you know, guns, and later then it was just folded thin, so because it was cheaper, to, like the Kalashnikov or so on, mm. and uh, it was the same back then. Yes. And that was, yes. I thought, it's a very expensive thing that kind of Ottoman or or you know. That's right. Well, uh, during the steppe era, before the Turks settled down, uh, it is uh, maybe, it may be because of the availability of the material, as I said. 
but later in the autumn period, uh, there, there is an article that I wrote together with Mr. Shinasi Ajar, um, and uh, we also uh, introduced that. I mean, we, we, I gave a lecture in one of the festivals in Korea years ago. Uh, it was about the uh, the court report up to the death. And in his workshop, there uh, have, there were some bills that the court uh, decided uh, on their value, so that they will be sold and the money will be given to the uh, to to his wife and the others and to the state as well. So uh, in this article, uh, we discussed about two types types of bows found in the workshop of this lawyer. One of them is was called Egyptian bow, Yayum Sri, with the old Ottoman term, uh, and the, it was and, and a Tatar bow. And the Tatar bow we thought was the Crimean Tatar bow because we know that they were manufactured and used uh, in uh, Ottoman capital Istanbul. So it was a, a preferred bow because it was easier to use with its longer with, with its longer uh, length. Uh, so uh, has similar features uh, like the Ottoman bow, but longer. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the other bow, Yayu Musri, uh, was much more cheaper. I mean, the, uh, the court stated prices for that, for these bows, mm -hmm. and sixfold cheaper or something like that. So we thought that the Tatar bow probably a Crimean Tatar bowl, was a composite bowl, while the other bowl, this Egyptian bowl, was a, a wooden bowl, a self bowl. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. therefore, the, I, we wrote this article, which can be read on our website, tirendas.com, uh, with the title of Possible Use of Self Bowls in the Ottomans. So mm -hmm. the Ottomans might have used uh, self bowls, or sinew-backed bowls, because mm -hmm. even if you don't put the horn to the belly side of the bowl, yep. both the production cost as well as the time yep. they, uh, would be yep. reduced. Yep. So yep. it is also possible. And I also found some evidence that some sinew-backed bowls could have been used in the army, but I don't have strong evidence or uh, rigid proof for that, because there is a bowl called Cheka Yayu or Chaka Yayu uh, among the bows sent to uh, to a castle in Hungary or to, to a battle between the Ottomans and Hungary, maybe March, it's 1521, 26. So uh, I talked to the professor who, who uh, had uh, read the original documents in the Ottoman archive and uh, I asked him how the word exactly was, this chaka or chega or whatever, because the sinew glue is also called chega mm -hmm. in Ottoman Turkish. So that's why there may be some sinew relation on this yeah, ball, yeah. Mm -hmm. which can mm -hmm. directly be a referral to a sinew back ball. But mm -hmm. the evidence is so poor, really so poor. But uh, it is. Uh, it makes sense to be suspicious about that. So, because I uh, agree with you, Peter, so it makes sense to equip an army uh, with less money because uh, war is all about money. So, uh, especially at that time. Uh, so, uh, they could have been used, but all the evidence 
I mean, strong evidence that we have about the bow they are used, about the technique, all the written sources and everything, and all the bows remain. They all are the composite bows and the shooting technique mm. uh, points. Uh, the uh, company. Mm. Uh, I had also the idea, maybe this high, high sophisticated pose, uh, just the nobleman had, and maybe not the sim simple warriors, you know? I don't know. Uh, because on the other hand, I thought about, if you think about Juniper, you know, Juniper wood. Yes, yes. You can make very short pose out of Juniper. For example, juniper, mm. and and you don't have to force your troops to have a <laughs> thirty-four inch draw. If you just draw to your cheek, uh, you can also shoot in a heavy arrow and so on. So I don't know. Seems interesting. And uh, think about that. If uh, our theory about the availability of the material is correct, then in Anatolia there were different types of woods, uh, trees, I mean. So uh, that's why in the Ottoman era, different types of bows, including self bows or back bows might have been used. So we don't know that yet, but uh, it is actually uh, something we can discuss. And, and you know, I, I like to interrupt you once more because I think if these are, were very expensive and nice bows, you know, this, this good, this, this uh, composite bows, uh, they kept them and maybe the cheaper ones, you wouldn't find them anymore because, you know, they were not as expensive and not as, as displayable as, and so on. We don't know. I, I don't know. Possible. I just want to say something that I forgot to tell you when we were talking about this Yai Ilmustri or Egyptian bow that we found in the list of the inheritance of the Turkish warrior. Uh, it was this Yai Ilmustri. We also looked uh, to uh, to to the books uh, about the Mamluk warfare and weaponry. Mm -hmm. So Mamluks ruled uh, Egypt, as you know, and the. Mamluks classify or categorize two types of bow. One of them is they call Persian bow, which we are sure is a composite bow because they say that it consists of sinew, horn, and wood. Mm -hmm. And they also say uh, or, or refer to another type of bow that is wooden bow, a sand bow. So Mamluks were um, uh, familiar to sand bows. So mm -hmm. that's why we thought, Mr. Shinas Sergio and I, when we were writing or working on the article, we thought that uh, this Yaya Musri refers to that ball, which was known and used in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is very logical, Peter. So I agree, it is mm -hmm. uh, possible that these balls might have been used also. And as you said, there was no reason for anyone to save them in the museums or in mm -hmm. the uh, okay, yeah. personal, personal arsenals. So, if they got broken, they could have been disposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not a scientist, but if you think kind of, uh, kind of logic about it, you, you can. And we we must agree the first idea of a bow is a stick bow. You know, of course, all around the world, the first idea of a bow is you mm -hmm. carve a kind of piece of wood and make a bow. Yeah, but it's but it's the same like with weaponry nowadays. The first first rifles they had this 
with this Flintstone and front loading and whatever. And now they have an M16 auto machine gun. So it's the same when you see the bow was the weapon for the longest period of time, I think, before, before they used stones and whatever spears. But where you, where you throw a projectile with a support item. And of course, every culture and every nation was trying to get the best, I think. So it's like, like now when you see the countries, oh, we have this rocket launcher and then the other ones come up, but we have the bazooka. Yeah, but, so but I, I mean, there is a thing too. Of course, then when you provide them for the army, you need to make... But, but there is no best bow, you know, there's no best bow. Every nice working bow is, is equal to the other bow. But you always look for the what the material you have, you make the best out of it. And when you have horn yeah. and sinew at your disposal more than you have wood, of course, you use this and you make the best out of it. And it has still a reason why these bows have this shape like this. They are shorter, easier to maneuver. Okay, but uh, gentlemen, I want to tell you something uh, about that. Uh, okay. Every army, every state, every leader uh, would like to have the best weapon, you said, Armin. But it's not the case all the time. I'll mm. give you a very interesting... Well, why? First of all, because the tactical use of a weapon is much more important than the weapon itself. You don't so, win with the weapon. Yes. Mm. Right. Yeah. For example, in during the conquest of Constantinopolis, uh, Mehmed II, the conqueror, as we call him, the, the, the nickname of this sultan is... Fatih, conqueror, and this, he was a very intelligent guy, a Renaissance scholar, as many experts uh, have a consensus on, and he was good in mathematics, good, good in warfare, good in everything, could speak several languages, everything. This guy, who was just 21 years of age at that time, during the conquest of Istanbul, uh, he uh, contributed planning of the cannons mm -hmm. and the two big cannons have been molded by a Hungarian cannon maker mm -hmm. or bell maker because because as you know mm -hmm. the European bell makers became cannon ma cannon makers mm -hmm. so uh, these these two uh, cannons were molded and uh, he contributed in planning of this he was such a clever person and he was the the first person in the history who thought that it would be better to place the cannons on the shore rather than a, a on the hill, on the fortress, like a tower or something. Because beforehand, uh, the cannons were uh, placed like that. But when he placed the cannons to the shore, the cannonballs uh, skipped on the water surface mm -hmm. and there was uh, literally no way for the ships to escape because uh, think about that. It's the ship and the cannonball is skipping mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, instead of just having a volley. Of course. A chance to hit. Yeah. He was just a very smart uh, marshal, for, first of all. But the interesting point is, he used big cannons. That was a modern technology at that time. Mm -hmm. And some also believe that he also used rockets. Mm -hmm. I think missiles or something like that. Yeah. But he also used slings mm -hmm. and it was him who placed the slingers as well as the archers on the battlefield. So mm -hmm. he personally placed these uh, troops uh, to where they should be. So think about the sling. It's a weapon that 
had an age of thousands of years, mm. right? Yeah. So think about the uh, the uh, Old Testament was written. Yeah. David years. and Goliath and so on. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. And, which means that. <coughs> And, and, and I like to interrupt you. And here you see, he was able to use a very cheap weapon, maybe a weapon a farmer boy, a herder was used to use, was used to handle it. And he had an opportunity to surprise the enemy with this stuff. I'm sorry, you said Abel or David? He was. He used a very cheap weapon. Maybe every simple herder boy was able to use yes, first. Yes. So he could use auxiliary troops for, for this purpose. And it was a possible he surprised the enemies with these troops, with these special units of slingers, you know? Well, not only because of the surprise that it could uh, cause, but uh, the reason uh, this link is a very inexpensive weapon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very, very recently, very recently, I gave a lecture and compared the momentum levels of different weapons. And I'll tell you something: uh, a war bow with a draw length of one hundred seventy pounds, okay, uh, launching a very heavy arrow. I cannot remember the weight mm -hmm. at the moment can produce a momentum of four point something Newton seconds, okay? Mm -hmm. And a sling uh, that can launch, launch a 70 gram stone with I think 65 meters per second or something mm -hmm. can produce the same momentum. Yeah, yeah. And do, and do you know what a nine millimeter parallel cartridge uh, generates as for momentum? It's just 2.8. Newton seconds. Yeah. So if it comes to the efficiency of the weapon, the primitive yeah. weapon is not necessarily less efficient. It's not. So the tactical use, the tactical use may be so well uh, adjusted or planned that it may be as efficient as a modern weapon. And, and besides that, as far as I know, there are very, very few uh, uh, occasions in history where the superior weapon was the thing to win a battle. In most cases, it was tactics, it was, you know, outnumbered and so on. Yes, Peter, but what I meant is simply when you have the material and, of course, you have the Nabobil and you tell him, or I would, as a ruler, would say, listen, we all have now this stick, can we make it in any how better? And then whatever I, I gather the best bow builders, yeah. and then there's a listen here. We have now a challenge, a competition. Who can build me the best performing short bow or whatever? This I would do this as a rule, and then this how would I come up with this invention? Yeah, but but there's the there's the old battle between us because I oh, see a, a, a very well made wooden bow, uh, or let's say the other way around, a, 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 a composite bow is not as much superior to a well-made stick bow. So, well, if, you compare, if you compare uh, the making okay. and let, the... Uh, okay. let, let me make a, a fast comparison if you want. 
it is a superior weapon, comparably, I mean. Uh, there is a beautiful uh, article of Adam Karpovich, so please uh, read it. It is available on the internet, up to a certain draw weight. Uh, it is approximately 70 pounds for or 65 pounds for the Turkish design. So different composite balls with different designs may uh, uh, differ. But in Turkish design, up to the 65 pounds of draw weight, <coughs> the energy efficiency of both balls, a well-made U long ball and the composite yeah. curve are identical. But if the draw weight exceeds, ex exceeds 70 pounds or 65 pounds, then the mass that you have to add to the limbs to generate this extra draw weight is more than in, in the long ball then you would add uh, for the composite ball to generate the same draw weight increase, mm -hmm. which means if, the, if both balls are brought to 100 pounds of draw weight, I understand. Then the composite ball is much more severe in energy but, uh, <laughs> or the, the percentage of energy that is transferred to the arrow, okay? Mm -hmm. Other than that, other than that, uh, the pre-strained limbs, I mean the reflex, uh, causes uh, an, an energy uh, storage mm -hmm. more than that at straight limb ball in the earlier stages of the draw. So this is also an advantage. So if the ball is very well made by using a very good U, then the energy efficiency is almost identical, but not the energy storage. So composite ball is superior in this case too. Mm. Yeah, but is this making the real difference in warfare? That's the question. Well, as I said, even a sling may be a very efficient weapon if you use it tactically. Yeah. So that's the point. Well, it, it is the same with any other uh, combat weapon. And, and, and I like to say, don't get me wrong, because I know that that legendary uh, that legend around the English longbow is nothing more than a legend. I'm a longbow guy, but I know it because it all resulted because the British surprised the French with the longbow, with the auxiliary troopers, with these farmer boys. They gave a bow and say, shoot as you can and so on. And so I know it's a, a kind of legendary story. I, I don't, I never underestimate uh, longbow because it's really a very good weapon, especially if it comes to the uh, a ratio of uh, uh, benefit and expense. Yeah. So it's yeah. amazing, really. And, but again, it is about the tactical use, as you refer to between, in, the, in the battles between French and English. Yep. The tactical use is much more important. And uh, other than the energy efficiency and energy storage capacity, uh, last but not least, I would like to say something, uh, <clears throat> which is the uh, shooting technique. So some release uh, makes also a difference, especially when it's executed with a rigid thumb ring, uh, because the, uh, the initial arrow velocity is higher only when a rigid thumb ring is used. I have to say that if you use a, a bare thumb or just a leather protector, it is uh, identical to that of a three finger release from the mm -hmm. same lab. Yeah. We, we, we measured them uh, and a few times. So uh, not only once. Uh, so the, uh, I, I like to interrupt you. Uh, it's the same with the three finger. 
if you use a very stiff glove, you have a way better, faster release than if you have a very soft leather, uh, soft leather glove. Yeah. Yes, it is. I think uh, it is all about the uh, the degree of rotation of the string. Uh, from, yeah. From how it slips away from the fingers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is also uh, a, a prime parameter, a factor uh, that makes the uh, composite ball uh, more efficient, uh, technically, let's say. But, but from a tactical point of view, as you say, a very primitive weapon may be very effective, very efficient. Yeah. So it is the same for any other combat weapon. So yeah. and there are some uh, very shallow comparisons uh, on the internet don't go to a gunfight with a knife for example and there are experiments so-called experiments people do with a rubber knife and a, with, a, with a pistol whether uh, you can uh, stop an attack of a knife from that distance or this distance or that distance these or 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 all of these are quatch as german said so it, <laughs> yes it, but but i saw once I saw a video on YouTube, there was an American cop, you know, a policeman, and the guy was holding the knife here like that, you know, with the blade forward, and he, he ran to the policeman, and uh, I think about seven to eight meters, the policeman wasn't able to get his gun out when the guy with the, with the knife attacked, but so... But as I said, these are very illogical comparisons because yeah. because uh, the, a, a faster gunfighter could have done that, or a slower knife fighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If you compare a bad gunfight and a good knife fighter, of course, yeah, yeah. But I like to say one more thing. Uh, I agree with everything, but if if you say there's much stored energy or there's this and that, if this makes the difference, I don't know. Well, it is about this, Peter. For example, uh, you, you are a hunter too. I know that. For example, think about these uh, terminal shots if it comes to any weapon, okay? For example, if you shoot someone with a 30-pound ball in the heart, there's yeah. no for him or her to survive, right? Yeah. But when it comes to thermal shots, then uh, uh, the more energy your weapon has, the better yeah. the result will be. So that's something like that. So uh, I uh, believe that the tactical use is much more important. So how you uh, use the weapon on the battlefield. So the, uh, the uh, tactic or the commanding of the uh, the uh, troops or the forces is much more important uh, but of course it is quite entertaining to discuss all the yeah uh, of course my weapon bites yours your weapon bites mine like this kind of thing. of course because when drinking beer in the night of a competition uh, something like that but uh, in fact the tactical use is much more important for example the composite ball cannot be separated from its tactical use either so this a fake retreat of the Turkish uh, armies from the very beginning, from the step times to the uh, sophisticated empires, they always use this tactic. So they uh, pretend 
uh, retreat. And during these fake retreats, they were shooting even backwards, as you know, mm -hmm. this uh, famous Parthian shot. Yeah. And then they uh, had a shape of a crescent. Then uh, with the fake retreat, they got the enemy in mm -hmm. and then surrounded it and destroyed, terminated. Yeah. So it, it is. And they, used, they did it so well. For example, I give you a, an example from the Seljuk era. Uh, Alp Arslan, Sultan Alp Arslan, who defeated the Roman uh, Emperor uh, Diogenes or Diogenes. Uh, and Diogenes was a, a very successful general, uh, having the title of Strategicon. Uh, I think, yes, if I'm not, not wrong, Strategicon. Or uh, anyway, a high level general, okay? And he was in love of the tactics of Turks because he both taught them before and he also had some uh, minorities from Pechenek and Uz Turks in his army. Mm -hmm. But still, he was defeated with the same tactic, tactic because mm -hmm. the ability of applying the tactic was so successful. It was much more uh, better than the weapon itself. Mm -hmm. So this is why not the weapon, but the generals uh, mm -hmm. um, what what I found out about strategy and tactics, and yes. it's a lot about inside, you know, this art of war of Sun Tzu and so on. Yes. If you ever, if you're ever able to do something, the enemy is not cal calculating with the enemy is not awaiting. Mm -hmm. If you can surprise him, because there was one story they said. Over or think about Hannibal, you know, they can't go over the Alps and so on, and and they did. Same, or, same with the Mongols. Same mm -hmm. with the Mongols. They surprised the enemy always because they could uh, cross the uh, desert uh, yeah. in, in such a short time that the enemy. Yeah. Or or even the Romans with their with their colleague, you know, with their with their sandals. You know, all these German and Celtic warriors, they had no footwear. Mm -hmm. They were barefoot or had very not so sophisticated shoes. And the Roman, uh, you know, the Roman soldiers, they had very nice. So they could, yeah, they could march on and they could mm -hmm. surprise with their high, high, uh, how is it called? High speed of walking and so on. Uh, I interrupted you, but I want to ask you one more thing. There's, I don't know, you know, that the, the, the Ottomans two times sieged Vienna. And I don't know if it was the first time or the second time, but there's a kind of legend or, you know, story. This one time they, they stopped the, 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 the siege because it started raining and the bows delaminated. Hmm. Have you ever heard about that? No, I haven't heard about that, but there's such a story which is very similar uh, about a, a battle between Magyars and I don't remember the, their enemy at that time. So a, an instant rain started and they uh, their uh, strings got wet or whatever it was, something wrong with their bows. So because their main weaponry was the bow, they were, mm -hmm. uh, um, let's say, they could not function as they would uh, have as yeah. an army, whole army. So it is told for the Magyars. 
I haven't tried Maybe that. they they mingled it up these yeah, two yeah. legends with Ottomans and Madias and so. But uh, we discussed that a lot with Adam Karpovich because he has uh, an experience of 35 years about making balls, and he's not only making balls; he's a very curious person. He's experimenting a lot, including. Uh, Mm. Now you're back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yes. Yeah. So, I don't know why, but uh, the, the phone interrupted me. Could you, mm -hmm. could you get uh, uh, visual data? All good. Everything okay. We see you and we hear you. Yeah. Handsome as usual. The, this, the Elvis of archery is back again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the time limitation of Zoom, I think, right? Hmm? Zoom sessions. Zoom. What? What is with the Zoom sessions? Uh, there is a time limitation of Zoom sessions. That's not, why. Not with oh, our no. Zoom. <laughs> I, I I pay for it every month. I think yeah. twenty euros or something. That it's not time limited. Don't worry. Okay. Well, uh, what were we talking about? Um, uh, uh, Good bow yeah. and Karpovich with the delimit about the strings and and post yeah. getting Karpovich is such a such a brilliant brain really and he even soaked the balls into water. Think mm -hmm. about that. He's making a ball in almost two years and he has such a scholarly uh, curiosity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he soaks the balls into water to see. How it is terminated okay. by water. So he believes that rain doesn't make much to balls because mm -hmm. they are covered with leather or uh, yeah. birch bark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, talk. The talk. strings. Okay, the strings might have been affected by humidity or rain because uh, the Ottomans made the strings uh, from raw silk as well mm -hmm. as uh, plant material. Uh, uh, the interesting point is what was the name of the rami rami is the other the, the, the name of the, of the other material that they made the strings of mm -hmm. this rami uh, rami strings can be seen only in the examples in the in dresden in mm -hmm. germany yeah so in one of the uh, articles of mine <laughs> which recently was translated to japan japanese language as well uh, we had a member, a Japanese member, who was an Ottoman historian, mm -hmm. uh, a PhD student at that time, now a PhD, uh, came to Turkey for two years and he participated uh, in Tirendas. Uh, it was a great chance for us to, because he was a really brilliant young man. Mm -hmm. And uh, Iku Nagashima is his name. Iku translated this article of mine, which is about the weaknesses and advantages of the uh, Ottoman composite ball on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. including public conditions. So how the ball behaved during uh, bad weather. So mm -hmm. thanks to Adam Karpovich, he really helped me a lot by based on his experimentation, like this soaking that into water, etc. Mm -hmm. So, and the, in this article, I also mentioned that, that this Rami, this alternative material, which cannot be seen here, by the way, here in Turkey, there are only 20 something strings available. None mm -hmm. of the balls have their strings on. There are 20 something uh, strings in Topkapı Palace Museum's collection, which I measured and uh, examined, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I have data about them. All are made of raw silk. 
So mm -hmm. why other material was used in the bowls now saved in the European museums? I thought that rummy may be a little bit more resistant in uh, humid weather, mm -hmm. which is confirmed by the technical data. Rummy is not only uh, resistant, but also even tougher okay. if it gets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In, in these earlier legends about the bows of Magyars, for example, if they made their strings from sinew, mm -hmm. then their strings might have sucked. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I can't imagine uh, strings made from sinew. I, I know they were, but I can imagine a useful string made out of sinew. Mm. But uh, and I never believed this story of the delaminating bows and so on because uh, the warriors knew their weaponry, so they protected it, or even, or they waxed the string, or I don't know. So there is a, there are a lot of ways to protect your your stuff from moist moisture and weather. So I never believed this story, but I don't know. Okay. If, if when we come to, or if we come to these stories or legends, I'm going to tell you something very interesting. <clears throat> uh, maybe you know that uh, the totem animal of Turks, of ancient Turks, is wolf. Have you ever heard about that? I don't cut you now. Say it once more, please. The? Okay. okay. One of the totem animals of yep. ancient pre-Islamic, the wolf. Mm -hmm. The wolf, okay. yeah. This wolf. Yes, exactly. Many Turanists do yeah, this yeah. Yeah. gesture, uh, referring to a wolf hat, which I don't like. It's very dogmatic, but anyway, so you can't change it with mine. It's, anyway, an, it's so an old symbol. It's like the swastika. Yeah, yeah. It's an old symbol, but it was misused. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. And it is mainly because of the uh, legend of creation of Turks. Uh, the legendary ancestors uh, of Turks have been uh, 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 guided by a wolf mm -hmm. uh, from where lived uh, in, uh, uh, as, as slaves. So they melted a mountain Probably it refers to their metallurgical know-how because they've always been good in uh, metallurgy. They were good uh, metal hand forgers. They made uh, uh, metal objects, weapons, etc. And then they uh, followed a wolf and got out of where they were. They, it was somewhere surrounded by mountains where they got lost and lived there for generations. This is something like that, a legend, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this... Uh, it is also said that something on the balls that is affected by rain, uh, to avoid this, the night attacks of Turks was performed uh, in full moon. Mm -hmm. This is also a legend because a full moon guarantees that there are no clouds and no rain will come. No rain, yeah. And in the uh, article that I wrote that, it's mentioned that this verbal mm -hmm. is also connected that's to full moon. Yeah, of course, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. literature of Europeans uh, is based on this, that the Turks uh, attacked in the night. Are they real werewolves? 
It was also, again, with no scientific <clears throat> evidence. But, mm-hmm. A legend. Yes. But every but, legend and, always has a little bit of truth. In yeah, it. And if you think it's also connected to that Roman legend of Romulus, Romulus and, and Remus, with, yeah. the, with the... They built Rome, yeah. Exactly. There's also some uh, researchers who believe that there is some connection between the early Turks and the uh, Etruscs. So mm-hmm. yeah, 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 and and they don't know where Romulus and Remus came from. No, maybe <laughs> they were Turks too. Yeah. I see. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Burgat is an, a very big patriot. I see, but I like it. <laughs> Me? Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, in fact, of course, I am a patriot, but I'm not a chauvinistic person. I can say that for sure. And no, I'm no. really against <laughs> I'm, I'm really against these pan-Turkist theories okay. because there are some um, people who will claim that everyone uh, is originated from the Turkish race. So it is <laughs> unbelievable. Some claim that. But maybe, but, uh, who knows, who knows? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. It, is, it is, of course, a big lie, but, but I have to say that, that the world's history cannot be written without mentioning the name of Turks. This is yeah, true. That's true. Like Saracen never, is never. very inaccurate. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. You're... And, and, you know, if you think about the stories in the Bible, where where the Garden of Eden, where the origin of life was. It was in, in this area, in, in Syria, in Mesopotamia, in all that area. And, and where the Turks originally came from, I don't know. Where, 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 did, where did Noah's Ark end up, you know, on the mountain? Arabic? In Turkey, on the best place around in Turkey. <laughs> of course. Well... It is very interesting. A Hungarian friend of mine uh, made a joke and said that some Hungarians believe that even Edom and Eve are Hungarians. So <laughs> there are, of course, <laughs> Adam <laughs> could be. Yeah, but, but, but you know, uh, yeah. But uh, I like to 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 say something. Um, at the moment, I'm reading an interesting book. It is a novel about World War One, and. Uh, the backstory is true, so not the events are all true, but the, 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 the core of the story is true. And if you think about the today's politics, it is very interesting because the, the, the story of the book is the German Kaiser Wilhelm, you know? Wilhelm II, yes. Yeah, Wilhelm II. He wanted that the Ottoman Empire to join him in World War I. At the, at the beginning of the war, they weren't connected allies, but, but some days later, let's say like that. And the German uh, supplied an expedition. The guy, his name was Niedermeyer, a German guy, with some Austrians and Germans and so on. And they had the plan, like like uh, Lawrence, you know, in Arabia did, to to make a kind of uh, yes, a kind of uh, Islamic revolution against the English, to make a jihad against the English, 
So they sent these expeditions to, they were in Istanbul. And so I'm sure if you do a little research, you find something about it. And their, their goal, their, their goal was uh, Afghanistan. So they wanted to, to connect all these Islam uh, people to fight the English. Very interesting story. The thing is, uh, the Ottoman Sultans uh, owned the title of Caliph as well after 1517, when uh, Sultan Selim I defeated the Mamluks and they got this uh, title from them. But this title uh, has not been used efficiently, especially in the First World War. A very good proof is the Arabian Peninsula, right? Okay, the Arabs not only betrayed the Ottomans uh, under the commandment of the English, uh, but uh, such plans uh, of the uh, alliance of uh, German Empire and the Ottoman Empire didn't work either. Uh, but, and think about that, in the siege of Gallipoli, uh, there were some uh, Islamic minorities from India who fought in the army of the British, uh, but there are some reports that they hesitated to fight the Ottomans. So, but of course they had to obey the, the, the commands, yep. but hesitated, so they were not as efficient. But uh, although they hesitated, they fought. So the, uh, this, this title or this power, if it was really a power, was not used well because the, the time changed even in the uh, beginning of the, 20th century, it was not like the 10th century or the 11th century. It was different. And yeah. um, I also uh, like always to always like to mention this because nowadays they always talk about uh, Muslims are hating Christians and opposite and so. And in history, that's not true. It was never like this. Everybody fought for, for power and... Yeah, not for religion and not for hate or racism. They fought for land and for power. There are incredible information harvested lately. Very interesting. Uh, I really don't want to deviate too much from archery, but just to say a few words about that. Uh, a very recent book uh, that was uh, written by... Uh, Professor Halil Inancık, a very famous Ottoman uh, historian, uh, Ur Altu and Evgeny Ratushev. The latter one is a Bulgarian professor. They wrote this book and the book was published after the death of Halil Inancık at the age of 100 or 101, something like that. And this book proves that uh, after the invasion or conquest of Balkans by Ottomans, uh, the local people, uh, cooperated with Ottomans, mm -hmm. even in the military activities, mm -hmm. because all the official historiography of the Balkan lands, when they founded their states after the First World War, like many others, okay, mm -hmm. these nation-based states, so they wrote their own historiography, and of course, based on lies, it was the same in Turkey, of course, we had a 20th century uh, official historiography, but these new findings uh, based on the documents found in the Ottoman archives in Istanbul as well as in Sofia mm -hmm. proved that there was a cooperation. So it was not about the ethnic identity, it was not yeah. about the yeah. uh, religion or something. Yep. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I mentioned this, I mentioned this uh, 
they wanted to make a kind of jihad against the English because the same was true with uh, with the uh, ISIS. You know, the Americans gave the the uh, the the Muslim extremists weaponry to fight their enemies. Or if you think about the war in Yugoslavia, the Bosnian war, they gave that Muslim minority weapons and agitated them against the Serbs because the Serbs are connected to the Russians and so on. So this is an old trick <laughs> I found out in this book. This is an old trick to use religion to say, yes, we are minority and so on. Not use religion to misuse religion. Misuse. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, misuse. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, yes. To to be able to go back to archery, Armin, are you? Oh, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. You can. It's fine. I go sleep, and it's. Fine. And and uh, no, I like to talk on. And it's the same was true in my opinion that that Constantine connected the people with the Christianity because there were a lot of different tribes and he, he just could connect them with a religion. And I think the same was true with Mohammed because there were many different tribes and, and different, you know, pagan religion. And so he could connect them all together. We are Muslim and they said we are Christians and so on. So it was a tool to connect different ethnicities and so on. I'll tell you something. It is very physiological. Okay, there's an there's a hormone called oxytocin, and it is uh, related to feel, uh, uh, feeling that you belong to something. Yeah. So belonging to a profession, belonging to a nation, belonging to a group of friends, belonging to a tribe. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or or supporting a football team. Uh, yeah. Belonging, yeah. They all. Uh, triggers your oxytocin discharge in the brain, okay? Yeah, and it, yeah. That's all, what about that? It, so, uh, it's really physiologic. And people who are really smart and evil, they can easily misuse it. It's, not that, it's not that hard. That you, you can use it also for good, of course. Yes. And, and, they knew, and back then they knew nothing about uh, oxyto oxytocin, but... Uh, they know it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The, the problem is, people who misuse these are, okay, smart. But uh, what is missing for them is the ethical values. So mm -hmm. not the... Yeah. Yeah. That's why we cannot misuse that. And, and, and there, are, there, are, there are also many examples of people using this i say using not misusing this and making good things and then get on a slope and turn into bad people yeah. because success and you know oh, if yeah. you're getting too big and so on hmm. difficult <laughs> we're all humans you know yeah, yeah. Mm. That's I did a little study, you know, on that, on all that gurus, on that, uh, you know, on that sects, on that uh, Jim Jones, and 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 you know of you know of this uh, a lot of these cult leaders, and they all started out as good people. Yeah. That, for example, Jim Jones, he was interracial in the United States. You know, he he 
he he supported the blacks and so on and made a very open mm. church and it was a nice community. He started as a good person and then it ended in horror <laughs> because we are humans and if you're getting too big and if you can do everything. You know, Peter, a good system should also protect itself yeah. uh, from being degenerate. So this is the last words I would say about that. So mm, yeah. a good system that it has to have the features of being protected automatically from such misuse. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 But once you have the right people in your misused, you know, then it's fine. Like nowadays media and, and politicians, then it's and, fine. Then and you're you not protected at all. And I mean, you see today, sometimes it goes very slow. So you won't detect Re this. You won't yeah. see it. And when you recognize it, it's too late. Yeah. No, even like if, that. if some people tell you in the beginning what is going to happen, but you don't want to see it. But as you said, it's yeah. a Frankfurter Schule. What did you say that yeah. it happens in in the in the in the schools and in the universities? Yeah, the Frankfurt School. Frankfurt. You know, in the 1920s, this kind of Marxist guys and so on, and they said we don't make a revolution; we make the slow march through the institutions, mm. like Angela Merkel. <laughs> she, she, she destroyed the German conservative party. Yeah. <laughs> it, she turned it into left leftist. <laughs> And she officially hated this party, but she, it was useful for her. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. well, well, left, left, and right is differently uh, defined in different countries as well. Sometimes yeah. I am. Uh, speaking with my Hungarian friends, for example, uh, there, because of their past, the, the left wing is defined completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Turkey, it's completely different either because yeah, we yeah. did <clears throat> never have a proletaria. And interestingly, the, the left wing is here, uh, supported by the well-educated white-colored Turks, mm -hmm. unlike it is in many other European countries. So here, here too. Here it's too, also, yeah, it, yeah. It is also relative, so it's relative. By the way, Armin, yeah, what's the bow that you have behind? It's a recurve, right? That's that's a that's a bow I started shooting with as a compound bow. It's an early <laughs> from Fred Bear, the brown bear. The dark dark side of the force. Has <laughs> wheels on it, and it was simply uh, for my Armin. What what you. You, you switched to the dark side. I know, with what, this what yeah. I started when I was 15, 16 year old, I, this was the first bow I got in contact. Exactly this model, not this exactly one, but this model. And I started shooting. And this started with me, all this archery stuff. It is the early design with the uh, symmetrical uh, pulleys instead of cams. Yeah, yeah. So it's the... It's the It's, it's, it's a really early model from Fred B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A wooden riser, you see. It's heavy, yeah, yeah. And it was even way too heavy for me at the times, and I ruined my muscles and everything. But, you know, it started my archery kind of career, as, as, as you want to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, when we, when we talk a while, maybe Murat says the Turkish invented the compound bow. <laughs> well, believe me, there may be some around who would claim that. Mm. An American of Turkish 
<laughs> of Turkish. And, you know, I'm 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 happy for the Turkish coffee. I'm happy for the Turkish food. Yeah. I'm happy for the Turkish tea. So I'm I'm happy that you're, you're, you're quite inventive. So it's fine. You're happy with the Turkish bowl, right? A good performance. The Turkish bowl is fine too. Yes, of course. But I, you know, I don't want to always talk about Turkish bowl with Peter because only no. long bowl is. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll tell you something, guys. Uh, well, uh, if someone is interested in traditional archery or any other traditional art, but it is so, especially if it comes to martial arts, and uh, it is also, of course, uh, you are a little, little bit patriot, of course. But I'll tell you something. Uh, comparing to many others interested interested in the in Turkish archery, I may consider myself very sterile, and I have been blamed for that purpose as well. And since I started reviving the Turkish archery in the early 2000s, I am feeling as if I'm swimming in a pool full of sharks mm -hmm. because nobody pleased. Okay, uh, some think that I am an infidel while some others think that I'm a fundamentalist Islamist. So no. nobody can be pleased. Mm. So that's what I can say. I'm quite sterile compared to many others. But of course, yeah. uh, dealing with these traditional things really uh, uh, moves something inside, okay? Mm -hmm. Plays the string of our hearts. Yeah. Is that right? Um, yeah. uh, Murat, so, Murat, I, I like. I'm sorry. I mean, talk. No, no. I only want to say okay. yes. I understand. Uh, Murat, I like to say something. Uh, I think, uh, for example, for an Austrian, it's hard to be a kind of patriot. Peter, in... Pardon. You Peter, hear me? I can't hear you. I can't now, hear you. Now you hear me. You hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Can you repeat? Yes, I okay. can. can you repeat? Uh, for example, for an Austrian like I am, it's very hard to be a kind of archery patriot because we have no archery tradition here. So it's easier for a Turk to be a kind of archery, Turkish archery patriot. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I want to say, you are not an extremist or a kind of absolute patriot because I like to talk to you because... You know why? Because you're, in my opinion, you're searching for the truth. And so am I. And so I don't say the English longbow is the best one. Okay, you say the Turkish boy is the best one, but that doesn't matter. You know, if I have a good argument against your theories, you discuss it with me and say, oh, maybe, maybe. And and that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I like... To, to know everything and and it, with history and how it became and so on and and that's that's not patriotic i see you are a kind of historian yeah. and you're proud of your heritage and that's okay yeah. that's absolutely okay and that should be allowed and not looked bad about the person mm. oh he's a patriot oh, yes he's a patriot and that's good <laughs> it's my opinion yeah and, and regarding the best bow, it's, it's the same like what is the best knife? 
And it, yeah. always depends, it depends what you use it for. If you want to cut yeah. a tomato, you don't take yeah. a kukri knife, as example. But yeah. if you want to behead a goat, you must, might yeah. want to have it. So it always depends. And the same with the bow, too. And what, is the, what is the best gun? <laughs> yeah, exactly. For what? Yeah. 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 It, it's a personal preference. Uh, for example, uh, technically, it is not to really identify the traditional archery uh, as traditional archery, you look at the traditional archery of the uh, America. I mean, mm -hmm. North America, I mean, uh, because uh, it's based on some bow technology uh, based on 70s or something. So their traditional bows are nothing to do with real traditional bows. But, uh, well... Mm. Uh, uh, Murat, we said it before, in the in shows you know the term traditional archery just became came into life with the with the compounds with the compound bow yeah. and they invented the compound bow in the united states the recurve and longbow archers said we are traditional archers mm. and you're not and mm. so if we talk about traditional archery so we could say okay all our tribes the Turkish tribe, the Austrian and the Germans started with a stick bow. <laughs> well, yes. Like then I'm in the Stone Ages or someone, somewhere. No? What I'm trying to say is it is not easy, not only to identify which one is the best bow, it is also almost impossible uh, to, uh, to decide what uh, this or that bow uh, should be called or named. Yeah. So like traditional ball, that and that. As you said, if for America, after 1966, it was the, the, the year that the patent of the first compound ball was taken. Yeah. So well, I said 1970s. In 1970s, as you said, the others who were shooting streakers and long balls came out and said that we are the traditionalists. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And, and what about the Morris and William Thompson's witchery of archery that was written in the late 19th century? They were using English long balls. Although their know-how was based on the hunting uh, uh, tradition of the Native Americans, but they preferred the English longbow that had been brought with the English. Uh, and and just just because just because Doctor Pope was a kind of English longbow enthusiast, and he wrote a nice book about it, so that was the kind of root. Yeah, witchery of archery is earlier than Doctor Pope, so. Because of all these, uh, people like me have the right to, uh, to be a little bit uh, archery patriot, okay? Because we, yeah. have, we, have, we have some strong, uh, undisputable base, uh, yep. a brilliant part in our culture. So it's the same for Koreans, same from the, for the Japanese, same for, yeah. for the British. Yep, exactly. Uh, yep. Again, being evidence-based and uh, objective as much as possible, it's uh, the way it should be. And uh, I am, as I said, uh, acquiring even enemies because I'm behaving that way. Mm. Yeah, but these are stupid people. They don't understand what we're talking about, I'm sure. <laughs> and maybe calling it traditional archery is maybe the wrong term for it because... Yeah. Everything what is done over two generations is called tradition. So and if you think modern about recurve is nowadays already a traditional or a compound bow yeah. is now 
50 years old, so it's a traditional bow. <laughs> what... if, if you think about archery in itself is traditional. Exactly. Well, All but, archery. Yeah. The term tradition is also very much misused, Armin. Yeah. For example, yeah. from local festivals, uh, I'm sure you can come across in Malta as well, but in Turkey there are many regional cultures and there, for example, uh, annual cherry festival or annual yogurt festival mm -hmm. and if it is done years consecutively the fourth traditional cherry festival yeah, yeah of so course. that's why it's because it's rep of course every year yeah we have we have yeah. a nutella festival here yeah you can't imagine <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course yeah historical art yeah but it's 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 not the right term either it's fine, but we understand. I mean, we understand each other, and there will be I'm, always critics, like you know. Very uh, recently, uh, the modern sport archery changed the name of the Olympic recurve to classical bow. Maybe you realized that. Oh, no, I didn't know. That. To what? To classic classical bow. Yes, it's not worth to know actually, but I coincidentally not knew that or learned that wow. because to call it Olympic recurve and the other one, uh, the compound bow. Uh, and now they changed the name classical bow. Classic, yes. classic according to what? To, exactly, yeah. And if you think about classic, it was classic. in the ancient Greek and so on. This was the time of the classic, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Or, or a classical car is whatever, some, some vintage car is yeah. whatever. Yeah, time yeah, from yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what is classic? Yeah, exactly. Or classic mu classical music. Yeah. Because there's another there's another term used by the American uh, archery enthusiasts, primitive archery. So I don't how primitive primitive archery. Yeah, yeah, primitive. yeah, yeah. And and they probably refer to that of traditional archery at which they use uh, pre recurve and longbow era. I mean, I'm, uh, meaning the modern recurves and longbows with center cut shelves and everything. Yep, yep. And if they any other bow with no shelves or wooden uh, sinew bag or whatever, they call it primitive archery. So <laughs> it is also... They, they call it primitive archery and use stuck on strings and plastic knocks on the arrows. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it is also... Uh, uh, something that we have to have consensus on because uh, we were we just discussed that with Julian Jungmans uh, on uh, on Facebook. In fact, uh, how uh, traditional is traditional archery when you're using laminated replicas or yeah. all the rest? But I believe that as as long as the shape fits, then you should be allowed to use these because of the ability of inexpensive uh, because of the ability of equipping. Uh, newcomers with inexpensive equipment so it is important as for uh, as, as long as they they have the same morphology and similar characteristics so and they do have similar characteristics yeah. for many it is impossible to yeah. tell apart uh, without looking at the ball by just drawing whether it's made of uh, old resin or uh, horn ball so mm -hmm. they, they, there are slight um, Murad, uh, for some 20 years, I was the president of an archery society here in, in my area. And for 20 years, we made two 3D tournaments a year. 
And as far as I can tell you, we had a kind of, you know, a primitive class. It was kind of self pose, you know, and recurve and long bow and also a guest class with compound pose and so on. And the good archers in every class, except maybe the compound shooters with sights and so on, all the others has no have no sights, they are equal. So what I want to say is a good for a good archer, it doesn't matter if it's a primitive bow or a traditional or a classic or, a, you know, you have to hit the target. Mm. And the very good self-bow archers were equal like the recurve archers or the longbow, or the, you know, the, the, the mm. traditional longbow archers, or <laughs> how you like to call it. Terminology. Yeah. Even these categorizi categorizations are inaccurate, I think. I, yeah. I for example, uh, saw, saw, uh, saw some other categorizations or classifications in the competitions of in Poland and Hungary, uh, which uh, have been organized very well, really. They contemplated a lot about that, even about the classification, I'm sure, but it is not very accurate. For example, in Hungary, there's a class called hunting ball. Mm -hmm. Okay, what if it, what if I uh, with the criminal term? Well, <laughs> hunting ball is very inaccurate, but they are they are really good good people with good know how. But yeah. uh, these kind of things, uh, I don't know. Maybe we, I mean, people like us should think, discuss, and maybe write about that so that a new literature, new terminology, uh, will come out or will be created. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are big problems because when, when I was the president of that society, uh, they, this, this, uh, they called it horse bow or, you know, that Hungarian style bows uh, got, they, they came up with these bows. So they had limbs made of fiberglass, you know, coated with kind of leather. And so I had to put them into the primitive class. I had they should have uh, competed in the primitive class because they had a very difficult bow to shoot. Mm. But I had to put them into the recurve bow class because mm. they had glass glass fiber limbs. You know, so it's not so easy to judge. You know. Yeah. And the, even the naming, not only classifying <laughs> based on their ballistic uh, capability, but all the naming is also sometimes funny, like that uh, uh, you you uh, mentioned, horse bow, for example. Yeah. Yeah, some in an American forum years ago, and the guy of European origin uh, supported me when I was uh, disputing that term. And he said, my bows, should be called laundry balls because most of my shooting uh, is done in the laundry of my house. So, <laughs> exactly. You cannot actually stop uh, such. Uh, but, but how you call them? Because it was a kind of, uh, you know, a sample term for all these uh, yeah. kind of Asiatic bows, yeah. shorter bows, and so on. Okay, look, for example, Reiter Bogen mm -hmm. uh, is, is based on the same yeah. uh, thought, but yeah. it's more accurate. But Hortbow is not. Mm. Because 
Reiter Bogen or, or the cavalry ball, let's say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but that is what they meant with the horse bow, of course. Yeah. Horse bow is completely illogical and uh, inaccurate. But, uh, well, it, maybe it, it makes sense for us, for Armin, for example, he's a very, uh, very frequently viewed YouTuber. He, he has to go on this terminology, maybe, because yeah. the more people, uh, hear the terms the more people would embrace and accept it mm. but you you would get from uh, we say in german from the hundreds into the thousands uh, because if you say you make a wooden bow class mm. you know just self bows wooden bows okay the next guy came comes along and has a laminated bamboo bow so it isn't a wooden bow, and it it is a wooden bow, but it's laminated. Or the other guy has an English long bow with three laminations without. So where to stop and where to end and where, how to do it's very difficult. That's why the ballistic features should be known well. So, for example, uh, a laminated wooden bow is not too much different than a self bow in terms of ballistics, for example. There is no advantage. Uh, <clears throat> but a laminated bamboo bow. It performs yeah. like a gas fiber bow, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I mean uh, if there is no uh, shelf, for example, mm. yeah. only the straight limb may make a difference. Otherwise, uh, there's no difference. Even a straight limb CU back bow is not too much different than a straight limb wooden bow. So this yeah. category should be based on the capability of the bow, whether they uh, provide any ad, uh, extra advantage to the user. Mm -hmm. So, and even the naming should be based on this. For example, the hunting bow, mm -hmm. as the classifies it, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, they actually refer to that kind of bow with shelves. Mm -hmm. So, understand that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the Hungarians got this hunting bow from back then we had a, a, a class in German, it is called Jagd Recurve, hunting recurve. Mm, yeah. It was a special class and maybe they adopted it and said this is a hunting bow. Hunting or so. Highly possible because even this Jagd uh, Recurve is an inaccurate term, yeah. unlike the right yeah. bow. It was a separation from the kind of Olympic recurve bow, mm. so the short uh, one piece and so on. These were the hunting recurve, and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. so I do understand the, the uh, idea behind it, but uh, creating terminology is very uh, difficult, in fact. Yeah. So it should be it should require a serious scholarly work of different people from different uh, professions and with multilingual know-how this is very important so <laughs> I, I have to laugh about it Murat, because i'm imagining a kind of meeting where they fighting against these terminologies you know <laughs> no this is not the hunting bow no that it's not historically and this and that but i use it for Im hunting so it's yeah hunting yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagine imagine murat is out murat? murat murat you hear us murat he even looks <laughs> oh, he looks away 
You you upset him with something? No. Murat? No, he's frozen. Huh? No, Are Murat. Back? Are you back? Hello. Oh, he doesn't see us. That makes sense. Hi. Are you back? Are you back? <laughs> Hello, welcome back. Nice to welcome see you back. again. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, imagine a, a big room full of crazy archers fighting about the terminology. No, this is not the hunting ball. No, this is not primitive. <laughs> of, course, of course, it's not the way it should be done. But <laughs> Uh, when we write or when we talk on videos, then we may uh, discuss about that too and uh, <coughs> sharing our uh, ideas. opinions yeah. and ideas yeah. together. Even this is a good occasion actually to just yeah. uh, make pull people. people's attention to this, uh, exactly. to this uh, need. It's a need actually. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Uh, anyway. Was a anyway. nice, was a nice closing word. I think, guys, we are already two yeah, hours. We, yeah, we we have been talking for two hours. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's we could listen to you for ten hours. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you have such was, a, really a big base of knowledge. Of, of yeah, I I really enjoy. Really? You know, you know, you always have to look for persons you can learn something from. I wonder why you talk to me then, Peter. For, for me too, really. For me too. It was a great, great conversation, really. So yeah. we will repeat it. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. That's a wonderful yeah. question. Yeah. I am grateful. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And I'm very glad to, to see you again, really. Yes, of uh, course. Thank, thank you. you. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Murat. Yep. For me too, Armin. Thank you. Thank you and very much for watching, guys, outside and you know, on YouTube. And if you have any questions, write them in the comments and, you know, we will answer on whatever. Yeah. Okay. And, now, and now, uh, Murat, say uh, goodbye in Turkish language. Gülü gülü. Goodbye is hoşçakalın. Hoşçakalın, exactly. Hoşçakalın. Okay. Teşekkürler, Murat. Thank you for your time. Thank you Thank for you your knowledge. Guys. Have a nice bye. evening. Bye-bye. Armin, by yes. the way, you're Maltese? I don't speak Maltese, no. No, you don't? No. I tried two times to learn Maltese, but it's it's not logic. You know, I'm a German. For me, a language needs to be a, a, at least a little bit logical, and Maltese language is not. You're, you're from Germany, family? I'm from Germany, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, good. So uh, Maltese is a Semitic language, right? And uh, like Arabic. It's a little bit Arabic, so the counting is more Arabic, but then there is influence of Italian, and, and, and it's a mix of, of a lot of stuff. It's so, but... Sicilia, right? Just yeah, it's it's yeah, they they're close together. Yeah. Of course, we were once rivaled, and and, and and back then, I'm sure it was Ottoman. <laughs> yeah, they had the problems in the Great Siege. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, then I say Hoshchakal in Turkish, Auf Wiedersehen in German for. Both. Oh yes, Auf Wiedersehen, Hoshchakal.